This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. And before Mr. Kelly gets out of here... Um, I thought you and Greg were going to dress up and come by my house for Halloween. No, uh, I... I thought both you guys were coming by. Isn't that what we talked about last Saturday? Yeah, but I got busy. What doing what? Uh, I don't remember. It must have been something Trying really to put fun. things on I think a I shelf? Was, no, my... Yeah, I was. <laughs> exactly. I was out there for hours trying to squeeze those containers onto that shelf, and it wouldn't work. That shelf is like a half inch too small. Well, even though Just I'm very angry bigger. that neither one of you guys came by my house on Halloween, yeah. I don't hold a grudge, so I have brought you... <laughs> Some Halloween things. Halloween? Let me see. What is that? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I thought you were an athlete. You I, didn't catch I thought I was, too. What is this? And here you go, oh. Greg. This is for you. Even though you didn't come by, I don't hold a grudge. Well, is this what you gave to the kitties in your neighborhood? We gave some of those. We gave candy. We gave some spider rings and some bats and other stuff. So it's boxes of tattoos. I see that. I, I know Glow both, tattoos. I know, yeah. I know wow. both of you guys have a lot of tattoos. A lot so. of tats. I am tatted up. <laughs> and now I'm going to be more tatted up. The box here, it specifically says not for eating. Not for eating. <laughs> oh. Oh. So anyway. Jeez, he so had, he gives don't... out candy, brings us tattoos. <laughs> Jeez, I thought he right. liked this. I, you know, I'm a little angry. I stayed up till midnight waiting for you guys, <laughs> and then you never showed up. Oh, uh, I'm but, sorry, Mike. Next year. Yeah. Next okay. year. Yeah. If you promise. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks for stopping by, and we'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly. 314-436-7900-1800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns. We get together on Saturday morning. We discuss your yard. Oh, the gardening season's over. Landscape, garden, house plants, potting mixes, improvements of your soil, bugs, all that other stuff, too. And remember, my words are strictly to open opportunities. After that, it's going to take effort on your part during this great marathon called gardening. This is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. Thanks to Greg. He's producing again today. So he, he might have the longest stretch ever for anybody producing a garden hotline. So Anyway, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books, and two are currently available at various locations. Revised Missouri Gardener's Guide, that's pictures, 165 different plants with information on care and all that kind of other stuff. And then month-by-month gardening, which is how to care for all sorts of plants throughout the entire year. And then also I write articles for Missouri Gardener Magazine. During the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The home page is where my email address and phone number is. The second page is a good gardening stroll, which is my monthly updates for you know November. It's already in there. I was a couple days late, though. I got tied up with other things. 
Anyway, today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Wow, misty morning. Temperature was great for walking. On this, the final daylight, savings day. Oh. Though, honestly, there's been some dark spells and cloudiness, and it's, it's getting dark anyway. So, oh, well. So we still don't have enough moisture. Even though it was kind of drizzling and stuff, the ground is still very dry. So the gardening season goes, oh, boy, boy. But, you know, always, you, get, you always have the stories, and I probably have said it many times. If you have a dry summer, then your fall color is not going to be that great. I think this year the fall color has been really striking, not on every tree, but on a lot of trees, especially the maples and ash trees have done brilliant as far as color goes. And I decided, well, since it's the end of gardening season, why not stop by Bates and Arundis? What's at Bates and Arundis? Well, that's where the Holly Hills Community Garden is. And that's in one of those areas, community garden. I mean, there's all sorts of planting, but also there's individual plots where people can plant whatever they want, anything from herbs to vegetables to this to that to cutting flowers and anything else. So as I stepped out of the car, there was a slight breeze and it was bouncing the elm branches, which is a tree that's right over the sign. The, many of the shrubs have already been cut back, pruned back. There's a bunch of redbud trees there. They were holding on to quite a bit of their foliage, which was turning yellow and had the pods too. You know, redbuds are in the pea family. Knockout roses were showing bright red, even though it was oh, pretty darn dark. Even with the streetlights, it was dark. Gateway Greening and Holly Hills Improvement Association, they're the ones that really are kind of the backers of this community garden. And, uh, boy, it was tough to tell some of the individual plants. Even though I take a lot of walks here, probably once every season at this particular place, I was, mm, I can't remember, <laughs> remember exactly what that was. And so I start to feel the leaf. I feel the leaf. I hmm, can't tell. Is this a viburnum or is this, uh, then I just said, I'll have to just do the ones or make comments about the things that I can tell. And there was a garden hose, which was stretched out from the faucet. And there's a stormwater intake, which was probably done about two years ago. That's actually in the community garden spaces. And it, what it does is collect any kind of runoff. And then uh, there's probably a rain garden there. Ornamental grasses and Russian sage, they were looking perfect for this time of year. In other words, brownish. And that's, you know, that's the end of the gardening season. So that's how it goes. There was many trees, including birch trees. You always think of the birch trees start losing their leaves in you know, late summer when it starts getting hot and things like that. But these birch trees still had a lot of leaves. Many of the individual garden plots, some of them had their own initials on the plots. SSP was one of them. Another one was surround, or a couple of them were surrounded by rabbit or anti-rabbit fencing. Tomato rings were saying, I'm ready for next year already. Wow. There's a shed and a picnic table says... Uh, we chime into that, too. We're ready for next year. Somebody had put plastic you know, sheeting over their community garden bed space, and they put rocks to hold uh, you know, the plastic sheeting in space, or in place, not in space, but in place. And consequently, they were trying to suppress any kind of weed germination. I don't know if I agree with using plastic, but that's their choice, and that's their plot, so... That's how it is. There's this huge pot. I keep thinking, I'm going to steal this pot because it really looks nice. But I, it's filled with soil, so it probably weighs a ton. So I can't steal it. A yucca tree, the flower stalk says, hmm, 
Well, see you later, 2017. An Amtrak train goes by. Actually, it cuts right through there. Tracy and I have taken Amtrak rides to various places, and I've forgotten that that's exactly where they it comes through to head towards downtown. So the Amtrak train blew its whistle and said, it's time for you to go. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Dennis lives in South St. Louis. Hi, Dennis. Hey, what's up, Mike? I know you told me this before, but I forgot. What is the best time to cut back my use? Do I do it now or do I do it in the spring? Well, some people say you can do it now. Personally, I like to wait until we get through winter in case we have a severe winter. Because if you prune off and then we get some winter kill, then you could have, you know, aesthetically, you're going to have to prune off all the winter kill. So I just, I prefer to wait until Valentine's Day, personally. Okay, and my second question. I have two pots on the front porch that I'd like to plan something I like one of these like little Christmas trees that don't grow real high. Can you plant it in a 12-inch wide by 12-inch deep pot? Would that be big enough or got to get something bigger? Well, you're probably talking about Alberta spruce. Now, they do get quite big. People don't realize that they can do that. But if you keep it in a pot, then you can kind of control the size. But in reality, uh, 12 inches, that's not really big. But uh, if you get a relatively small one, you could try it. But what I would do is just, you could maybe find a 10-inch, you know, 10-inch, and just set the pot that you buy it in down into the pot that you're talking about. In other words, don't plant it directly into this pot that you have sitting on your front porch. So just, and then the space in between the inside of the pot that you're sitting it down into and the one that you that it, you purchased it in, just put some mulch around there to act as a little bit of insulation. And it would survive in a pot that small then? It should. Uh, you know, I mean, it's going to be iffy. What directions are we talking about? Is it facing north? You're yes. F- okay. It's, that's a pretty tough space, but uh, you should be okay. And what's the name of that again? Alberta spruce. Alberta spruce. Right. What okay. it is is a genetic mutation on the Alberta. Truly, the spruces that grow in Alberta, Canada, are bigger spruces, like big trees. But there was a mutation branches on some of them that just naturally mutated. So they took cuttings from those, and that's how that uh, sort of dwarf you know, spruce happened. And I can trim that? You don't need to prune it. Oh, you don't? No. For the most part... Um, you know, it's never going to really get that big, especially if you keep it in a relatively small pot. In essence, you're bonsaiing it just like the Japanese do. You're controlling the size. Ah, thank you. Yep, and you should probably get a couple years out of it. I'm not going to say it's going to go on and on and on and on, but a couple years, man, it's well worth it. Yes, it is. Thank you. Yep. And, you know, speaking in the same vein of that, uh, as I've told the story before, there's some place which I can't quite figure out where it is, but I think it's about half a block or two blocks down from me. There's huge junipers that were just covered and still have quite a few of the blueberries. So the birds eat the b- blueberries. They come up and sit on you know the trees and power lines and everything else around my house. So I have uh, Mike Miller's juniper forest in my planting beds. But I've dug up some of them and put them in pots. And I have some in window boxes. I have some in pots. And you know the front of our house faces to the north too and i'm able to i've been growing these junipers for several years now they're not alberta spruces i will say that but they are junipers and they're evergreen and you know i just kind of 
every so often I just dig up a few and stick them in a pot and just enjoy them. So thanks, Dennis. And now let's go to Kathy, and Kathy's in St. Louis as well. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Mike. Hi. I have a question. I have two um, garden beds that um, one runs along a fence and then the other one just L's out from it along my yard. I don't want to plant anything in those anymore. I just want to use containers. So I had someone turn over the I pulled as many weeds as I could because it gets a lot of weeds. I, I had someone turn over that ground. Um, they just did it on Thursday for me. What should I do? Should I do anything now to try to prevent weeds from coming back in there? Nothing you do right now is going to prevent any kind of weed circumstance. Okay. So in other words, you, you could cover with mulch like an inch or two of mulch, and that would be for more of an aesthetic circumstance. And just realize that it, you're probably going to, depending upon how many weeds you've had in the past, what kind of weeds they are and everything else, you may be a couple years of battling the weeds before okay. you eradicate this space entirely. Okay, so how do I battle it in the spring, or should I call you back then? <laughs> Call me back then. No, basically, if are are you going to convert this to lawn, or are you just you know what are you going to actually do with well, it? I was just going to cover it with mulch. Okay. Then and then put containers all along it. Okay, so basically, what you can do is just sometime when you know the forsythia is in bloom, the yellow you know spring blooming shrub, put a pre-emergent over this whole space. So in other words, a pre-emergent, what it does is if there's any weed seeds that germinate, it will kill the germinating weed seeds. Now, it will not kill perennial weeds that are coming back from the root system. So those perennial weeds and the seeds, just because you turn the soil over, that's not going to get rid of them. And just because you put too much or two, uh, one or two inches of mulch over it, that's not going to get rid of them either. But what it does is kind of maybe reduce the quantity a little bit, but it's just going to be a, you know, a couple-year battle before you're going to get rid of, let's say, the entire weed circumstance. Okay, I appreciate it. Thanks. Sure. So pre-emergent in the springtime when the forsythia is in bloom. Let's go now to Gary in South County. Gary, how are you? I'm doing fine. Great. Two questions for you. I got some hydrangeas in pots, and uh, they're plastic, so I was going to try to put them in the ground today uh, so they could get applicated to the winter. But um, I'm not sure if that's going to work or not, or I'm going to lose them. Uh, are, if, are they in flower, first of all? No, they're, they're, they're green, yeah, but they're not no flowers. Okay, good, because I was going to say, anything that's this time of year that's in flower that you're going to install, cut the flowers off. So you should be fine. Planting woody plant materials, November is a fine month, and sometimes, depending upon the weather and circumstances like that, even up through early December you can plant. So just, you know, make sure that it's, a, you know, the right location. I don't know which variety that you have. And uh, prepare the soil. You want the, the hole to be three times the diameter of the root ball, but only about 80% as deep. So in other words, you want the top of the root ball, when you pull it out of the pot, higher than the surrounding ground. Okay. And uh, how far apart should they be to the next plant? Do you know what variety of these are? No, I do not. Okay. I would say at least um, probably five or six feet. So you can Ooh. keep them separate unless you want to make a hedge out of them. But I would say five or six feet between that's, you know, whatever plant that is there existing. Is that what you're planting next to? Or are you planting a couple hydrangeas well, next together? To, next to it is uh, 
some wild uh, Japanese uh, miniature iris and some hosta items. Okay. Um, I would say, you know, still I would, you know, make it so the center of the hydrangeas that you put in, whatever kind of perennials or whatever there is there, make, you know, give it about five or six feet. Okay. One other question I have is uh, can I prune my holly bushes in front? They face west. Yeah, I do not like to prune. You know, we were talking about evergreen conifers earlier, but uh, I do not like to prune broadleaf evergreens going into wintertime. Because, you know, if we get, like I keep saying, if we get a severe winter, there's going to be some major twig damage, and then everything you've pruned off, that's fine, but also you're going to get dieback or killback as a result of the winter. So uh, broadleaf evergreens, definitely not going into wintertime. So I'm better off leaving them until next spring. Exactly. Okay. Thanks for your uh, information. Yeah, I got a great show, and uh, I I try to listen to you every Saturday. Well, great. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. Okay, take care. Okay, you too. And enjoy. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. It's an NFL Sunday on KMOX as the Chiefs travel to Dallas to take on the Cowboys. Pre-game at 2, kickoff 325. Touchdown, Kansas City! Hear it here on your home for Chiefs football, KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, and the first question is from Greg from KMOX. (laughs) Uh, Is that pressure? (laughs) You got it? Oh, well, anyway. Well, well, I I know what the question is. Anyway, somebody called in; they didn't want to go on air. So what they have is a hardy fig tree, and they've been it's been in the ground for nine months. He asked exactly what he should be doing as far as winterizing. About uh, three or four inches of mulch over the crown, the top where the root ball is, and then some of the people, even though they're hardy figs, put a, you know about four, three or four feet out from where the tree is, put some like fence posts in or just some posts and then put burlap around it and then tie the burlap or, you know, let's say you could twist tie, cable tie the burlap to the post just to act as a little bit of a windbreak. But if it's been in the ground nine months, it's probably hardy enough that you don't need the burlap. But uh, maybe for the first year, if you want to do something a little bit extra, you could do that. But that's about all you need to do. They're tough. They're durable. uh, There's a bunch of them in this, you know, St. Louis, throughout the metropolitan area at least, you know, and definitely in the hill area of, you know, where all the Italians live and love those figs. And there used to be several figs growing at the Botanical Garden, too. I don't know if they're still there or not. So now let's go to Afton, and that's where Jim lives. Hi, Jim. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Very good. Uh, look, I have a question about my banana tree. A buddy of mine just gave me one this past spring, and I planted it. They're really cool. Uh, it has three pups, so I hope to have four next year. And I think I heard you say earlier in the year that with those pups, you just dig it all up as one root ball. You separate them in the spring before you plant them out again, right? Right, exactly. Okay, now my other question is, so we had that frost the other night, and it really messed it up pretty good, and I thought, well, I might as well just dig it up now. So I dug it up, and I cut the stalks off and brought it, put it in a pot and brought it down in the basement. Well, I noticed, I mean, it's starting to grow again. Yeah, that's like fine. It, you know... It, just don't water it. Don't fertilize it. You know, keep it away from the light. 
You know, you can put uh-huh. a you know like a black plastic bag over the top of it if you want. That's but, what uh, I was wondering if I could do that. Yeah. But that that any kind of new growth when I plant it in the spring, should I just whack that off? Yeah, probably. It's not gonna, you know, it's not gonna look good anyway. So right. basically, it's gonna push out this growth just because the plant doesn't know what else to do. And sure. but inside in the basement, you know, and definitely underneath a you know black plastic bag, you don't have to cover the entire thing. Just wherever the light's coming from. You know, right. kind of shield it that way, and then yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty dark, but I guess these things are like weeds, huh? I yeah. mean, they just grow and grow and grow. Right. It doesn't realize that it's in the dark, so it's still <laughs> going to be producing growth until finally it goes. Oh boy, I'm getting exhausted. Then it'll go to sleep or dormancy. Yep. All right. Well, thanks a lot, sir. Yep. And yeah, speaking of that, you know, <laughs> this frost lately has you know, <laughs> there's a gentleman. Up at, uh, let's say, Morgan Ford in, uh, not Wanda, but uh, Federer, very close to me where I live. He had a huge grove of bananas, huge grove of elephant ears. And boy, when that frost hit, everything turned black. But he's got it all dug up. So I guess he's keeping it in his basement as well. Other things you need to be thinking about, of course, if you have any questions or concerns, 314 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Stop the guessing game. If you have areas in your landscape that you've been unhappy with, get a soil test done. I I hammer this and hammer this and hammer this. Stop guessing. What And have a separate soil test done for your front yard, backyard lawn, for every different kind of garden space you have. Because if you're growing vegetables, you know, the nutrient level of certain things is going to be different than the nutrient level of other things. The soil pH is going to be different than for other things. So even though you're saying, well, gosh, then I'm going to have to take your blah, 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 number of soil tests. Yes. That way you can make sure that whatever you spend your money on in the future, whether it be fertilizer, whether it be something to change the soil pH or anything else, you're going to know what to do. That's what soil test does. It tells you. And if you go get the soil test and you go, huh, take it to your favorite garden center, let them interpret it. Because it is somewhat of a, let's say, esoteric language, like you got extravagant levels of this. You don't have enough of this. You got your pH is this and blah, blah, blah. And also don't routinely just do things, which historically people have done over and over and over again, like putting lime on lawn. I can't believe people are still doing that. It just makes no sense unless you've had a soil test done and your soil test indicates that your soil is very acidic. Because lawn likes a slightly acidic soil. You put lime down, you're changing the pH and making it salty. You're making it more alkaline. You don't want that. That could be one of the problems with your lawn. Also, just realize that shade is a factor, yes. But if the shade is being created by trees, then the tree roots are more of a factor than the actual shade factor. So just, you know, that's kind of how it goes. Let's go up to Florissant and into Don Jard. Hi, Don. Good morning. Good morning. I've got two questions. Once I've got a couple of uh, these knockout rose bushes, mm-hmm. when's the best time of year to prune them back? Basically, wait until there's a hard frost. So okay. most of the time, that's going to be sometime after Thanksgiving. All right. And the second question, is it, is it too uh, wrong time of year to be power raking the lawn, soldier grass? Uh, definitely. Because if we get a cold spell after you do that, you're exposing a lot of crowns of your zoysia. We get a cold snap, and you could get some major death. 
to the crowns, meaning the growth points, the brains of your zoysia, where the root system and the blades actually meet. So you do that, you know, in the springtime, just as your zoysia starts greening up. Okay. All right. Thank you. Sure. And now let's go, since we're kind of in that direction, from Florissant to St. Charles and into Dave's yard. Hi, Dave. Hello there. I bought some uh, three- to four-foot palms in the spring and planted them in these big flower pots and put them around the pool, Mm -hmm. enjoyed them all summer. Great. What's the best way to preserve those for the winter? Uh, You can't do it outside. You're going to have to pull them out of the pots and bring them inside, and hopefully you got, like, sliding glass doors and all that kind of stuff where there's going to be adequate light. That's the, the only option you have. The other option is just to, you know, sort of blow them off and just buy new ones next year. I've got a walkout basement. That'll work, and i got a place to put them. So do, should I put a grow light above them or, or just open the windows to the open-out basement, you know, the walkout basement? Well, the grow light would certainly help because, I mean, okay. even though these, in theory these plants are things that can handle a lower light, if you've got natural sunlight coming in plus a grow light above them, that's going to keep them healthy and vibrant through the wintertime. And for anybody that's bringing in their house plants like this or any other type, if they're not in flower or you know budded, no fertilizer whatsoever in the wintertime, none. So don't fertilize them. Water them just when the you know the potting mix kind of shrinks away from the inside of the pot. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. Yeah, don't overwater because that can be problematic. And also check them very closely. You might think about getting some insecticidal soap, spray the underside of the palm fronds before you bring them inside, too, and get some of the insecticidal soap, mix it in water, and pour it around on the surface in case there's a bunch of fungus gnats. Let's come back from St. Charles and go into Richmond Heights. Hi, John. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to throw you a curve here. It's really not about my yard, but I, I love listening to this information about, you know, soil testing, this and that. And I forget, what do they call those um, the scientists that check the soil? Because I had some friends at Mizzou that were like geologists, and they went out and looked for oil. <laughs> but I forget. But the question is, what 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 was available to the farmers in 1820? Nothing. Well, I can't grow I can't grow corn here. I, oh, I got a bad year. I can't. Uh, this is not a good place for soybeans. So they just lived or died. I mean, they they didn't have those type of services, right. obviously. That's exactly right. It was all experimental. That's why there were certain areas or regions, like even right now that you drive through, you can see cornfields for long, long extended periods of time and no soybeans. And then the vice, you know, the directly opposite type of circumstance. So it was strictly experimental. There was no, there was no way to know. Yeah. Well, they were pretty rough people being pioneers and everything, I suppose. And so thank goodness they... They made it. Right. And also, you know, a lot of the seeds and stuff they were growing, their corn didn't get as big. The corn ears didn't get as big. Nothing got as big. So we've hybridized it, and that makes the plant materials even more very very sensitive to the soil type, soil pH, and all that other stuff. So they had some really rugged things, and we just don't even grow. I mean, they they say heirloom tomatoes are rugged. They're not really rugged like, you know, let's say the uh, tomatoes way back when. But that's, you know, that's made a difference, too. Didn't tomatoes come from Mexico? I mean, you think about Italian food, and they said, oh, tomato sauce. But I thought, weren't they discovered here in Mexico and um, Americas? I don't know if they were discovered here or not. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm unsure well, of right. that. Yeah, I'm not trying to throw a curve, but I'm like, I like that kind of history thing because <laughs> it, it 
it's really interesting to me. So, all right, well, thank you very much. Certainly, and, you know, maybe they were. I mean, you can certainly check online, but my guess is something like tomatoes could have been found in several different, you know, let's say locations throughout the entire, let's say, Europe. I don't know if they were in Asia because none of the Asian food food has tomatoes in it, and uh, but who knows? And, you know, Mexican, so who couldn't guess. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, one of the listeners called in and gave Greg some information. Apparently, the tomato is native to Central, you know, Central America, maybe Mexico. And what happened is the people down there were using it way back when, but when the Spanish came you know, and uh, so they conquered these areas. They said, wow, this is a great plant. So they took it back to Spain. Then it spread throughout the entire European circumstance. Then it was introduced through Thomas Jefferson finding out this looks like a great plant, too. You know, that the tomato would be used here in the United States. So quite the story. So it starts in Central South America or South Mexico and goes to, you know, because of the Spanish, goes to Europe and then comes back to us as a result of Thomas Jefferson discovering it. So, cool stuff. Kelly lives in St. Peter's. Hi, Kelly. Yeah. Go ficus Yeah, hey, uh, I've got a ficus tree. I've had it for a long time. It's about uh, eight foot high and about five foot across. It's in a 22-inch pot, and I was going to bring it in the house the other day, and I was looking, and it's got a lot of scale in it. Ooh. I've been, yeah, I've been spraying it with dormant oil uh, for the past three days, but... Oh. Uh, how do you know when the scale is dying? Basically, you don't because the scale won't fall off. But if you just, you know, if you've coated it, you know, on the underside of the leaf, the top of the leaf, that's about all you can do. So just keep, and then just kind of, let's say, take one branch where there's a lot of scale and just kind of watch and see if there's any migration of new stuff. They're probably not going to be hatching all that much in the wintertime. But uh, as the days start to get longer sometime in, uh, let's say, late January, that's when the hatchings will probably happen. That's not to say they can't happen, but uh, that's about all you can really do because it's not going to—the the, scale is not going to drop off. What you can do also is take a—you know, just take a damp paper towel and start, you know, wiping the scale off and see if you start to see some coming back to, a, you know, various locations. Yeah, there's a lot of it, in, the, and they're mostly on the branches. Right. You know? So just yeah. take a paper towel. You don't have to stand there and do the whole thing at once. Just whenever you're feeling aggravated, just go out there and I'm going to kill some scale. And a wet paper towel and just wipe it. All right. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. Yep. And, uh, yeah, you don't watch out about spraying too much of the dormant oil because there should be a period of time because dormant oil... Um, hopefully this is a you know a lightweight horticultural oil as opposed to the dormant oil that's outside on the plant materials because it's a I mean the, let's say the gauge of the oil is different and for house plants that might be a little bit toxic so don't spray any more of the dormant oil right now let's go now to Donna in Crestwood hi Donna hi hi Mike enjoy your show um, I would like to know how to tell if a plant is sterile because I do like to feed the birds and butterflies and bees. So I just want to avoid buying sterile plants. Sterile meaning what? That they don't produce the pollen and nectar. Well, I would probably, rather than individual plants, you know, if you're looking for things, just look online and say, 
for, you know, let's say hummingbirds, what, you know, what's the best plants to plant or whatever type of birds that you're, you know, you're going after. So mm-hmm. in bee-wise, too, or butterfly-wise, just look at butterfly gardens. Oh, that okay. will tell you the plants specifically that are, you know, that have been tested for years, that have done well naturally, that maybe you can get some, let's say, more showy type of hybrids. But mm-hmm. I would do that as opposed to trying to worry about, you know, this plant being sterile as opposed to this plant. Okay, because, you know, the bees are um, dying off or not around very much, so I right. kind of was worried about that. <laughs> right. A lot of times, you know, there's all kinds of different circumstances, Some, you know, so, but yeah, just go and just look at anything that's, let's say, recommended for a butterfly garden. The bees will love it. And the bees okay. like other things too. So I don't know what kind of, you know, yard you have as far as lawn-wise, but if you don't really care about, let's say, necessarily a technically great lawn, you could get like something as easy as Dutch white clover seed and just, you know, put some Dutch white clover. Now your neighbors will probably call and say, why did you tell her to do that? <laughs> but I mean... Clover is perfect for the bees. Okay. Sounds good. Great. Thank you very much. Yep. Good luck with that. Thank yeah, it's you. pretty easy to do. I mean, just because you do it, though, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have all kinds of monarchs, you're going to have all kinds of hummingbirds or anything else, but that's the best way to go about it. So get the information off the Internet, or you can go to, like, let's say, MissouriBotanicalGarden.org, and they will have a whole list of plant materials that are proven for this area for exactly what you're talking about. So that's probably going to be the last call for this hour. So if you have any questions or concerns, or take a walk around your yard and uh, see what's going on out there, you can give us a call after the news. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Make sure that as you look out in your yard, too, don't just leave dead plant material you know, just kind of sitting there. The disadvantage of doing that, there may be insect eggs, there may be some bacteria, there may be some fungus, there may be some diseases on the stems and the foliage of that. And if you just say, well, I don't really feel like getting rid of it, and what difference does it make? It's just going to fall on the ground and, let's say, become compost over time or whatever. Keep stuff as clean as you possibly can because that's going to help reduce some of the potential problems. So it's just, it is extra work, but just do it. Now, the leaves, too. The, you know, living right across the street from Christie Park where the southwest winds blow them right up into our yard, I've already cut my, you know, my sedum, sedum acre. That's the type of sedum that I have between my, gra- my, my lawn, my lawn, my sidewalk and the street. So I've set my mower high, and I've run over it a couple times to chop up the leaves because there's so many leaves that are blowing in there. And the, the three maple trees that I have that are street trees. One of them's almost lost all its leaves already. The other two still have a lot of leaves to go. So, I mean, I end up, plus all the stuff that blows in from the park, a huge amount of leaves. I continue to cut my grass, not necessarily because my zoysia is still growing, but just to chop up the leaves. And you say, well, how long or how long can you keep doing this until you think, well, gosh, you've got so much, they're all chopped up. But if you cannot see, let's say, whatever you're growing, whether it's lawn or anything else, like the brown part of the zoysia or anything, because there's been so many leaves and you just continue to mulch them with your mower, then that's too much. So you're going to have to start reducing some of that. That's what I end up having to do. I chop them up early on. They fall down in between the grass, the zoysia grass blades. But later on, I'm going to have to start raking. 
And I end up with like, I don't want to say hundreds, but lots of different 55-gallon plastic bags of leaves that I you know pick up. I take them around to the yard waste dumpster, dump them in. Then I come back and refill the bags again. So that's a, there's a lot of stuff going on in the outdoors, but you got to, you know, just stay up with it. A lot of times people get exhausted or that, you know, it's too cold, it's too this, it's too that, it's too wet. But this is where the, you know, the, like I said, it's stop the guessing games with us getting the soil test done. Keep everything as cleaned up as you possibly can. And there's going to be good results from doing that. This is a very, very difficult area to grow pretty much anything that's not native. So, and most of the things that we grow are not natives. Yes, there are wildflowers, and many people grow wildflowers because they want to have things that are going to, let's say, be less care. But even growing wildflowers in a suburban or a city environment is not necessarily like growing wildflowers in their native habitat. So there's still going to be soil improvement and all those other things that's going to make a difference in how well your wildflowers or whatever you choose to grow. And it just it goes on with everything. So it's going to be work. There's no getting around it. And the more work you do now, that is, sort of gives you the advantage, or let's say it is the advantage, of course, on next year. And you don't have to necessarily plant the same things over and over and over again. If there's too much and you felt like, I couldn't keep up with it because of, let's say, lack of rainfall or anything else this time, you know, with 2017, then just, you know, cut back on the bed spaces. There's nothing wrong with doing that. You can just even leave them just mulched. You don't have to, you know, like convert them back to lawn or anything like that. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We will be back after the news. Your home for Chiefs football. KMOX, KMOX HD, St. Louis. 102.5 KEZK, HD3, St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.